My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. So welcome to the 11 o'clock service. Uh, please find your seats. Uh, we'll turn to, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, a scripture uh, from First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. If you have a chair Bible, I mean, you'll see that in page number 331. Page number 331, verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Uh, let me pray and ask God for help. Father, Lord of all creation, God of the universe, uh, thank you for sending your Son, Christ, Jesus Christ, to die, and who came not to be served, to, who came to serve us. And through your Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts would be open, mind would understand your precious words to us. Uh, break every resistance to your holy word. I pray that we would be built up in the most holy faith, in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a question. Uh, what does knowing God and serving God look like? You know, for those of you who know God and have been serving Him for many years or for a few years, uh, this is just a, a way of a stirring you up by way of reminder. Uh, last year on October 31st, it was the uh, 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and I think uh, we are all children of the Reformation. Uh, and this is why without the Reformation, uh, it can be argued, uh, but uh, we would still be under the supervision of the Pope, you know, getting orders from Rome. And we would not be under Christ as the head. Uh, not under Scripture, not uh, saved by faith alone, through grace alone. And Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who led this Protestant Reformation movement back uh, 500 years ago in the year 1517. Um, but did you know that there was a, as a figure, uh, there was a man from history, a relatively unknown figure, 
who had shaped the thought and convictions of Martin Luther. And this man's name was Jan Hus. And in English, it's John Hus. Uh, Jan Hus lived in Bohemia, present-day Zech Republic. Uh, Jan Hus, uh, he was a preacher at Bethlehem Chapel in the city of Prague. Uh, during his 12 years of ministry, he preached about 3,000 sermons. And people got took notice of his sermons, and during that day, the Catholic Church took notice, particularly took notice of him and called him to a council. And they called him to a council and ordered him to recant all of his preaching and writings. He said, you must de- denounce all of what you said, so you must take it back. So as he stood in the council, here, is his res- here was his response. Uh, I, Jan Hus, in hope a priest of Jesus Christ, fearing to offend God and to fall into perjury, am not willing to recant all or any of the articles produced against me and the testimony of false witnesses. And hear this. This I say and write freely and voluntarily. Uh, This was a bold stand against the whole establishment of that time, the whole church, uh, so what did he write? Yeah, here, here are a few things that he wrote. He wrote that the Pope was practicing something called simony. Uh, simony was in Latin, uh, which means he was, the Pope was buying and selling offices, church offices, like selling the, the post of a priest, a bishop. And he also said that priests were terrifying people Uh, saying that the Pope had all the power in the world. He could do whatever he wishes. And the third thing he said, among many other things, he said he wrote that Christ was the head of the church and not the Pope. And that's where he took a bold stand against the whole church or the Catholic Church establishment at that time. So what was the uh, the result of his stand? He was condemned for his stance... And on July 5th, 1415, he was burned at the stake. Now, that was not the end of the story. The fire of his death literally lit the fires of the Reformation movement 102 years later. Martin Luther read all of his writings. He was convinced that he was going to lead this Protestant movement, and he nailed his theses on October 31st, 1517, at the church at Wittenberg, Germany. Now, the rest is history. We're all part of this Protestant movement. Jan Hus was a man who knew God and served God all his life until his cruel death. So here is my proposition for us. Uh, We must know God and serve Him in the way that Scriptures teach us. Amen? Maybe one from you, right? Here's what Jan Hus used to say say constantly. He would say, search the Scriptures. And that is all we have today. And when you know God and serve Him, and when He starts shaping your thoughts, your desires, your plans... And all of your life, the result is wonderful. 
It is amazing. Not pain-free, but not joyless either. So what we will see in our book, uh, in our passage for today, just one verse from 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, uh, we'll see about a story or the instruction given from a father to a son, uh, to his son. Uh, David tells Solomon, gives in, uh, in two instructions to his son Solomon, and he tells him, Son, know the God of your father and serve him. We'll see what the instructions are, and we'll see how the instructions are to be followed. How do we serve him? And we'll see why. Why are these to be followed? Uh, Solomon is obedient for a while, but at the end of his life, he fails following God. And God takes away the kingdom from him. Uh, But we will also see the one who has always been disobedient. Jesus is the obedient son. So before we dig into this verse, can I just give a a historical uh, context? Is that okay? Uh, So here we are at 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and I'll paraphrase verses 1 through 8 for us. Uh, David is the king of Israel. This is about 3,000 years ago. Uh, He has lived a long life, a good life, faithful to God, and he wants to build a temple for God. But God tells him, you can't do this. But he says, your son will build this temple for me to glorify me. So David assembles all the people of Israel, and he tells them about this great task before them. Build this house for me, and then subject yourself under the leadership. The son, Solomon, would be the leader for building this temple. And then in verse 9, he specifically addresses his son, Solomon, by name. He says, my son, Solomon, know the God of your father. He doesn't say, know my ways. He says, know the God of my, know the God of your father. Now, David was living in the, the times of the old covenant. You're familiar with, familiar with that, right? With, We've talked about Old Covenant, New Covenant. So let me explain what the Old Covenant looked like in those days, in the times of David. Imagine you're at a bank to apply for a loan mortgage or a a mortgage application or a loan application. And you're sitting down with the banker. The terms of the loan are laid out before you. And you are flipping through endless pages of the loan terms, the terms of the agreement. Anyone has done that, right? Right? And you're, you can't get to wait to the last page, right? And by now you have, you know, skipped those million lines of fine print, you know? And this is what they say. If you do this, you get this. If you don't do this, you're penalized, right? And finally, after reading, the banker explains this is what they are. And you get to the last page and you sign the dotted line. You know, sign the contract. The, the contract is final. And this is a two-sided contract, by the way. You sign the contract, the bank gives you the funds. So, for example, if you purchase a home, as long as you pay the monthly mortgage, you enjoy the benefits of staying living in the home. But if you don't pay, then the bank, you can risk losing the home. The bank could take back the home from you, which is called foreclosure. Or you could declare bankruptcy. So you see this two-sided contract. If you fulfill the conditions of the the loan, the contract, there are benefits. But if you don't fulfill them, there are penalties. 
You understand that, right? In many ways, this is how the old covenant worked. If you remember the, the story of Moses and the book of Exodus, uh, God leads the people of Israel out of slavery from Pharaoh, from Egypt. He brings them out, and Moses is chosen as the mediator, the leader of the, uh, the people of Hebrews or Israel. And then he tells them God's law at the foot of the mountain. He tells them, this is what God demands of you. You must follow the law. And this is actually what the people say. They say, all that the Lord has said, we will do. They agree to the, law, the terms of the contract. And you know what Moses does? He kills a bull and he sprinkles the blood on them. He signs the contract with blood. So he inaugurates the first, the old covenant, with blood. So it was, the signature was with the blood of an unblemished animal. Now, with, this, with all this context, let's get to the actual verse. We'll get, we'll get to see how the new covenant is different from the old as we are going through this. This is the first instruction from David to Solomon is this. Know the God of your father. Now, what does it mean to know God? You know, is it just head knowledge? Is it an experience, emotion? Uh, is it attending a church? Uh, is it uh, saying a prayer or a ritual? Uh, some people have this idea about God that God is a grandfather giving good gifts to his you know, grandchildren. Uh, as a matter of fact, God is not a grandfather and he doesn't have grandchildren. God is a father. He has only children, and that to adopted children. Uh, we'll see that in a minute. Uh, the word know, the, know in the know the God in the original translation means uh, to be intimate with the ways of God. And this is what he's telling Solomon, David. And listen to what Moses tells the people of Israel about the character of God. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him. Uh, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. So in the ancient days, God... The God of the Bible, the same God, he hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed. He reveals himself to the people, to Hebrew people. And how does he reveal himself to them? Through Moses, through the law, through the priesthood, through the tabernacle, through the old covenant. And today, we don't have a, such a system, especially if we're non-Jewish. And I'm a Gentile. This system was... Archaic. This was temporary. This was imperfect because there was a prophecy about the coming of the perfect one. And who was the perfect one? The perfect one who was going to inaugurate the new covenant. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was always with God even before he came onto this earth. So knowing God today means... Knowing him when you are truly born again. Amen. Do you see that in John chapter 3? A Jewish a teacher comes in, a rabbi, teacher, we know that you do good works. Jesus goes straight, straight to the chase. You must be born again. You cannot know God unless you're born again. Now, what does that mean? 
It means when you have true sorrow for your sin. This is the big difference with the Old and New Covenants. The Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone. The New Covenant, God puts His Spirit and writes His law, His instruction into our hearts, onto the tablets of our hearts. Do you see the difference? He puts it straight in you. And how does that happen? When you listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have true sorrow for your sin. I've seen this happen in my own life. I had, I, many years I used to go to this youth retreat with a heart that was cold and unfeeling. And one day I heard the preacher and he was saying, you must repent, turn from your sin. And all of a sudden it felt like this heavy, my heart was heavy. I was feeling godly sorrow. And the apostle Paul said, godly sorrow, sorrow leads to repentance, this change of heart. So no man can produce this. No preacher can produce this. It is the work of God alone. So how can you know God today? It is not by human will, but by the will of God alone. In John chapter 1, you see that. Whoever received him, he gave the right to become his children, not by human will, not by flesh and blood, but by the will of God. God. Isn't that good news? Now, coming to very practical issues, right? Everybody wants to hear, okay, what does it really mean in my life? What's the evidence that I know God? Right? Thanks for asking. <laughs> J.I. Packer, uh, he has a book titled Knowing God. Great book. He, uh, he, has, he lists four evidences of those who know God. And here's the first evidence. He says, those who know God stand firm and take action. You know, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says, those who know their God will stand firm and take action. You know, we heard from Pastor James last week. You know, Adam was just standing there when the serpent was deceiving Eve. And what did he do? Nothing. He was passive. Those who know God, take action. You must do something. Now, there's a great song we used to uh, sing a few weeks ago. I think we still sing it. It's saying, I will rise and go to Jesus. You must take action. Those who know God, take action. And this is Discipleship 101. Discipleship is love in action, pursuing people, going after people, loving them, having compassion, standing up for the truth. And the second evidence of those who know God is those who know God have great thoughts of God. You know, in Daniel chapter 11, chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, we see how Daniel's thought process is. Let me read that for us. Here we see uh, the thoughts of Daniel himself. He says in Daniel... uh, Chapter 2, verses 20, I'll read it for us. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets of kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Dear friends, if you know God and you're following him, serving him, what does your thought process look like? When you think about God, do you think that God is the one who owns all of the universe? Or is he a small God? God, I want this little thing. 
God can do miraculous things. The book of Ephesians says, God can do more abundant, abundantly can you can ever ask or think. Is this, is this the image of God that you have? Or a small God, you know? I want this little thing, God. Daniel had a big view of God. A God who ruled all of the cosmos, but he, a God who also knew the tiniest of detail. So those who know God have great thoughts of God. And the third one, those who know God show great boldness for God. If you remember Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the apostles of Jesus Christ, they were preaching Jesus all throughout the region of Jerusalem after Jesus had ascended. And then they were specifically told, you must not preach about in his name again. And do you know what the response was? They said, we must obey God and not men. They showed great boldness for God. And they were beaten. They suffered the consequence for their obedience to God. And the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, I account my life as no value if I may only proclaim the good news of the grace of the gospel of God showed great boldness for God. As you read Paul, you cannot come to the conclusion that he was a man of God who stood up for God, but he suffered for God. And the fourth one, those who, have great, those who know God have great contentment for God. They have great peace in God. Dear friends, if there's one thing that believers are known for, followers of Jesus are known for, do you have peace, contentment? Do you have ongoing contentment in God? You know, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, but, I, but my peace. You know, I have experienced this many years ago. You know, I was really miserable, angry, angry with myself. I was looking for that one thing. There was, no, there was no peace in my life. And I sought God with all of my life. I hit rock bottom. And when I sought him, the peace that Jesus, that God gives, I was able to experience, that contentment. This is something that no man can give, only God. So those who know God have great contentment and peace. So here we see the first instruction for David to Solomon. Know the God of your father. And here's the second instruction. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Now, the first instruction is serve him in here, in the second portion. And he also says how we are to serve him. The, ser the word serve is a covenantal word. Now, what does that mean? It means it was found a lot, a lot of times in the Old Covenant language. Uh, we find this word all the way back in the book of Genesis when God tells Adam to work and protect the garden. And Adam just, he was an epic failure, right? He just fails in his duty to, it's the same word, work or serve. We also find the same word in the famous words of Moses. And what are those words? He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go that we may go and serve him, worship him. Same word, work, worship, serve. And now he tells us how, or David tells Solomon how we are to serve him. The first, the first word is the word whole. And what does it mean? It means from another translation, uh, sound 
unimpaired, undivided loyalty. You know, undivided allegiance to God is so crucial to serving the Lord, isn't it? God does not want fence-sitters. You know, one day here, one day another place, you know. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You must hate one and love the other. James chapter 1, verse 8, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God does not want that, dear friends. Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So that's the first word, the how. A whole undivided allegiance to God. And the second um, way to serve him is with this willing mind. What does that mean? A willing mind, a Christian service is not real unless it is truly voluntary. There's no force. There is no obligation. You saw it even in the life of Jan Hus. He said, I freely make this statement. I stand up against the position uh, of the church, of the Catholic church at that time, because I am afraid to offend God. He did it freely and voluntarily. And the best example of a willing mind is found in the, the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. From Philippians 2, we see, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. This was his willing mind of Jesus. You know, I was reading about... Uh, a missionary to India, Africa, and China. Uh, his name was C.T. Studd uh, in the 1800s, and he was a famous uh, cricket player. And if you do not know uh, anything about cricket, you know, you could Google it, uh, maybe after the service. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and this man was just a, a very famous cricket player. Uh, this game is a very interesting game, very similar to baseball. You have pitchers, uh, you call them bowlers, you know, one who pitches the ball, and you have three, uh, three uh, wickets that are called, three sticks. A very interesting game. And he was just one of, one of the best in this game, and he was very wealthy. But when he found Christ, he left all of his wealth, and he said, I am going to China, India, and Africa. And at the end of his life, before his death, he wrote something very interesting. He wrote, uh, My only joys, therefore are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. He did this willingly with a whole heart. Now, we, we saw, we are looked at the instructions. Know God and serve Him. And we saw how we ought to serve Him. Now, David does not, you know, David is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word. Now, he gives Why? Why are we to do this? Why should we know God and why should we serve Him? And he tells us why. We'll see at slide number three or the next slide. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. You know, I've been an IT, I've been an IT engineer for about 20 years now. And today's technology is just expanding so fast, right? If you have a smartphone, you'll know that, right? I mean, I can't even keep up with the newer technologies that are coming. And, 
If you have a, sm a smartphone, you'll know that every, they say that private companies and even the government can you know, track every, every cell phone call, every text message that you text, and monitor all your web traffic. You know, say the big brother is watching you, right? But there's only some that a man can do. What does God see? 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Psalm 94, verse 9, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Psalm 139, it says, Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. The Lord hears, the Lord sees, the Lord knows what's on your tongue. And if you think that was not enough, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful about all things and desperately sick. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You see, David knows what was good for Solomon. He knows that Solomon's Solomon's heart can be very deceptive. That's why he says, the Lord knows all of your heart. And if that's not enough, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Friends, this is a terrible thing. It is a frightening, the book of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So here we see what, how, and the why. Know God and serve Him with an undivided heart because God knows every heart. God knows everything about you. And finally, we see the last portion of the instruction from David to Solomon. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Well, let's focus on the first part. You know, if you're found by God, there is no greater blessing in this world. You know, there is no greater blessing than to be approved by God, to be forgiven by God, than to be approached by God, to be found by Jesus Christ himself, the God of the universe coming down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and he says and comes to you and says, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to have fellowship with you. Nothing better than that. So if you have been found by God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Amen. But the book of Hebrews also says, God disciplines those whom he loves. Otherwise, we're not legitimate children, says the Bible. But those who do not know God this way through his son, Jesus Christ, if you keep rejecting him, continually say, I don't want this God, what will happen is, in the end, you will be rejected by God himself. This is a terrible thing, dear friends. You don't want this to happen. And some of you may say, well, how do I know? The answer is, you don't want to know because you don't want to wait until that day of judgment. That is going to be a fearful day. 
uh, a terrible day, a frightening day. You know what Jesus did when he saw the city of Jerusalem? He went up on a hill and he looked over the whole city of Jerusalem and he grieved and wept over Jerusalem. He grieved and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have sent you so many prophets to bring you the good news of God, but you have killed them all. And they were going to kill him too, right? 2,000 years ago, they killed him, crucified him. And you know, some of, uh, some of you may know that we're part of an Indian campus ministry and we had, our family had relocated from Florida last year. And my heart is grieved towards many of my fellow um, Native Indians, people from my own community, who are far from God, steeped in meaningless idolatry, steeped in, in a worship of things that don't have any life in them. But God is seeking them. He's the only truly one. He's the only one who seeks. So let me summarize what we just saw. So the instructions from David to Solomon are these few words. Son, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with an undivided heart. So Solomon is truly obedient for a while. He loves God. He follows God. He asks God for wisdom. God gives him wisdom. And he builds the temple very obediently. He does a great job. But at the end of his life, he turns away. His heart turns away towards two things, worship women and idolatry. Now, this is not an ancient issue, right? This is a modern-day problem as well. Let me just read for us what Solomon did. For when, this is from 1 Kings in your notes, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 4, I'll paraphrase uh, for us. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was, his, as was the heart of David his father. So he went after idols in verse 6. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. So he went after idols, his wives, and then we'll see what God did to him or what God how God responded. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. See, Solomon did what we all do today or many do today. Go after immorality, rampant in today's society. And he went after idols, idols that do not save. You know, John Calvin said, Our, the human heart is a factory of idols. But God is so kind. He just did not give him zero instruction. God is so kind, he said, he reminded him twice. So dear friend, if you're following God, if you know him, if you're in this sin... Perhaps God is reminding you, leave your sin and go to Jesus. He is kind to take you back. Leave, your, leave the sin of idolatry or immorality and go back to him. But the story doesn't end with Solomon. He is not our perfect model. 
Solomon disobeyed God, but Jesus never disobeyed God. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of God. You know what Jesus did in John chapter 8, verse 29? He says, Jesus always did what was pleasing to his father. Solomon was known as the, the wisest man on earth. I don't know why his wisdom did not make him go back to God. But Jesus is filled with all knowledge and wisdom, says the book of Colossians. You know, Solomon went to the grave. He was buried, and he will, all of us one day, perhaps, we will go to the grave like all human beings do. But Jesus died for your sin. Jesus went to the grave, but he did not stay in the grave. He rose again on the third day from the dead, triumphant, victorious over sin and death. Sin has no power over him, and if you know him, you will not either. You know, Jesus is not just the obedient son, but through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, you have eternal life. And this is what Jesus does. He takes your sin into his account and pays with his own life. He dies for your sin. But this is what he also does. He gives his righteousness and deposits it into your account. There's a two trade-off. Takes your sin and he gives his righteousness. What happens? You're justified. It's as if, just as if you have never sinned. Isn't that good news, dear friends? Now we're adopted children because of what Jesus has done, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know him and you have been following him and serving him, my prayer is that, or my question or challenge is that, is your heart undivided towards him? Are you serving him with a whole heart, undivided allegiance towards him, voluntarily, willingly, the Bible says, delight yourself in God. You know, serve the Lord with gladness. And as I close, if there are some of you who are here today, if you do not know God this way, through His Son, through faith in Jesus, you must get right with God. And I feel there may be few of you here today that have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. So I plead with you. The Bible says your sins have separated yourself from God. You know, God is kind and loving, but God is also holy. He will not let sin come close to him. Your sin has separated. And in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, it says the sin is very evident. The works of the flesh are evident. It is immorality, envy, jealousy, pride, lust, idolatry. These are the things. If you continue to do those things, the Apostle Paul says, we have no place in God's kingdom. So what must you do? You must believe in Jesus Christ alone. Pastor James preached a few weeks ago. He said, Jesus plus nothing equals Everything. 
You know, Jesus is not in the business of taking loan applications to make small improvements in your life. You know what Jesus is in the business of? He is in the business of making full payment for your sin. All of it, past, present, and future. But this is what you must do. You must declare spiritual bankruptcy. You must go to, you must believe in God with a zero balance. Only then He will fill you. Because all of your good works, any of your good works, none of your good works will ever be enough for a right standing before God. If your sin has to be listed, whether the sin of commission, the sins that you commit, or the sin of omission, sins that you do not, if all of them have to be listed on a document, a million lifetimes will not be enough to pay for your sin. But you know what? The good news is you don't have to sign the document. Jesus signs the document with his own blood on your behalf. Isn't that good news, dear friends? He has done all of the work. He doesn't need you to do any work. All you need to do is come in faith. Turn to Him. Humble yourself and turn to Him. In faith, believe in Jesus alone for your salvation. You know, Jan Hus said, there is a kind of faith that is just superficial, He said, the tongue works in vain if the heart does not pray. You know, God doesn't want just lip service, dear friends. He wants your heart. So as I close, let's bow down in a a short time of prayer. Eyes closed and eyes bowed down. We'll ask you for an invitation. We'll not ask you to stand up or do anything or come. We'll have a time of prayer after our worship. But if there's one of you or if there's some of you, perhaps God is speaking to you that your sins have separated yourself from God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Faith in Jesus alone will make the transaction. You must believe by faith, I plead with you. You know, our worship will be over, dear friends. Sir, ma'am, your, this worship will be over. Our prayer will be over. But don't leave without Christ. Don't live without His saving grace upon you. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your race is, what your nationality is, what your you know, socio, socioeconomic background is. You know, it says, whoever comes to Jesus, He will give you eternal life. You know, God can change your karma. He can change your destiny. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, as I close to pray, it is appointed that man should die once and then comes judgment. Will you receive him? Will you turn to him or receive him? Shall we pray? Your eyes closed and head bowed. If there's anyone who, who's, in your, who's struggling in your heart and says, I am that who needs Jesus today. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Thank you, sir. If there's anyone who says, do not leave with Christ, dear friend, this may be the only day. Today is the day of salvation, it says. 
Now is the appointed time. Anyone else raise your hand? You want to follow Christ with all your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your saving grace. In John chapter, in the Gospel of John, we hear, this is the will of my Father, that whoever looks, whoever looks at the Son and obeys him will receive eternal life that those who listen to you and obey you may receive eternal life. We pray for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.